Hey folks, my name is Matt Lacey. I'm a elder in the North Alabama Conference and the Executive Director of United Methodist Volunteers in Mission. And I have been asked to record a podcast about praying with missionaries, for missionaries. And so with me, I have Will Bailey. Uh, Will, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I am Will Bailey. I'm the Executive Director of Acts 1-8 Missions. I'm originally from the North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church, and I have been full-time in the mission field in Costa Rica since 2003, so coming up on our 20-year anniversary. Wow, I didn't realize it had been that long. One thing I'm curious about, because I imagine this is probably a pretty nerve-wracking decision, or maybe it wasn't for you, how much prayer went into taking a chance, moving down to Costa Rica, and working with this ministry? I mean... I know it's been a while, but what the process of trying to decide that, the prayer, how did that all happen? First of all, it depends a little bit on how we want to define prayer. If we're talking about me sitting in a quiet space by myself with my head bowed, probably not as much as you might think. But I think that my, first of all, I don't think that prayer is something that I am particularly good at, to be honest with you. And that is apparent to me on a regular basis because my wife, Yolanda, who is from Costa Rica and we are partners together in this ministry, she is, it's just one of her gifts. She is amazing at it. And the way that she is just naturally in tune with God and with the Spirit and with that communication, what's very difficult for me is very natural for her. And I regret that that's the way that it is. I wish I was better at it. And I've spent time really trying to get better at it. And I just, I don't seem to have much luck. So for me, thinking about the process of discerning my call to the mission field and then taking those first steps and committing to it and saying yes when I was invited to Costa Rica by the church here, it had a lot to do with just feeling like this was spirit-led and that there was something happening, there was something that God was doing that we were sort of being swept up into. And for me, just being aware of those things happen, there are ways that prayer is a part of that. Um, Sometimes it does happen in those quiet moments. And sometimes it happens because someone else was praying about it and shares a word with you. I can remember the first year that I was here, I was at Costa Rica's annual conference, and a pastor came up to Yolanda and I at the end of that conference. And you know, there hadn't been a, a spotlight on us or anything like that during the conference. We were just there because we're part of the Methodist body here and had been invited. And this pastor came up to us and sort of put his hand on both of our shoulders and said, I just want you to know that neither one of you have any idea how big this is going to be. Well, I don't know what kind of a prayer life that guy has, but you know, we received that word from him. And over the course of the last 20 years, he's been right. You know, we are doing way more things, and this ministry is much broader now than anything we had in mind when we first started. So I am always attentive to how other people, through their prayers for us or otherwise, sort of share what they're feeling and the conversations they're having and the ways that those 
things relate to us into this ministry. That's a really roundabout answer to your question, Matt. No, no, that's that's fine. But I, I think trying to define prayer is, is a very tricky business. I mean, it is seen as something that is, one, usually done in solitude and quiet. And I've got to say, I, I don't ever really pray in that fashion. It's more of, I, I don't think God's, you know, our, our communication channel with God is limited to us praying, you know, quietly to ourselves. I think, you know, during the day, I think things or concentrate on things that, in a way, that can be prayerful. But I've come to just really, for lack of a better word, I really don't like performative prayer. Does that make sense? I, I, I think I think prayer is just, at least how I feel connected to God, is just a moment of raw honesty and, yeah, just kind of throughout the day listening and discerning. And when I make a decision, a big decision, I might, you know, spend more time in prayer or, or, or kind of conversing with God about those things. But, yeah, I'm with you. It is, it is kind of tough to define prayer because I think a lot of people see it as that a moment of quiet, you know, moment of solitude where you just kind of talk about problems and talk about things you're thankful for and, and kind of that's it. I, with the performative part, I definitely don't want to be like the Pharisee on the corner, you know, that's, hey, look at me, look at how great I am at doing this. Uh, but I am in a context where actually a lot of times prayer isn't done quietly and in solitude. It's something that is done communally and it is chaotic and it is free. And in worship services here, I call it the indistinguishable hum because it's everybody praying out loud at the same time, different things, and you can't distinguish what any one person is praying. And it's beautiful. And it's not something, like I said, that comes natural to me, but it's amazing to be a part of it. So, I mean, I certainly see the value in those two, you know, if we're sort of looking at extreme cases, there's sometimes when I'm, I'm really jealous of like, desert fathers and a guy that gets to just sit in a cave by himself in silence for years. (laughs) And on the other hand, I think, yeah, but that guy never gets to experience what Sunday morning in San Isidro, Costa Rica is like when you've got 150 people who are on fire praying and giving thanks. And it's just, I mean, it's, so I love all of it. And, um, am grateful to be in a place where it is such an important part of church life. And it's one of the things that I think the volunteers who come to be a part of this with us respond to most often is after worship services on a Sunday morning. They'll just be like, oh my gosh, you know, I've never been a part of that kind of prayer before. And I didn't know what they were saying. I didn't always know exactly what was going on, but it was powerful. And so I'm so thankful that they get to experience that and sort of broaden their own understandings of, you know, what prayer is and and the different ways that that prayer can happen. I relate totally to what you were saying, and, and this is a conversation that Yolanda and I had early on in our marriage because she was really concerned about the fact that she didn't see me having this intentional 
prayer time on my knees with a Bible open in front of me every day, like she, if she doesn't do that, she feels like she's suffocating. And what I've gotten her to understand is, you know, when I'm driving for hours a day between these different construction sites that we have going on, and I'm all by myself in the car, I'm having really long conversations with God on those road trips. And for me, that is a prayerful activity. What she has that I wish I had is that sort of natural inclination to start the day that way and that unease that she feels if she realized she hasn't had that time during a day. You know, I can go for a season without having those conversations and she can't. And <laughs> I really am envious of that. Yeah, that's, you know, in saying that, I do think I should clarify when I say performative prayer, I guess I am talking about, as you referenced, you know, the Pharisee who was interested, more interested in drawing attention to himself than God at that moment. But I do think, you know, in corporate worship, there is an element of performance in, in corporate worship. You know, Sunday, this past Sunday, I, I did a pastoral prayer, which I don't get to do much anymore because I'm not appointed to a church. But that said, I I was conscious of what I was saying and, and how it would impact the community in that moment. So all that to say, I think prayer for a long time we've defined as this kind of one thing that you brought up, you know, the Bible open, you sitting or on your knees with your eyes closed. Uh, that's just not something that really speaks to me personally. I, I, though I've had moments like that, they're profound. It's just not, that's not my habit. But for some people, that is how they connect with God, and that's great. But having been to Costa Rica... One of the things that did strike me in worshiping was when they say communal prayer, they mean it. I mean, it is communities actively, you know, praying together, which is really interesting. So kind of, kind of walk me through that. How did you feel the first time you experienced that? Well, I, st- I mean, I experienced it for the first time when I was 15 years old, which was the first time I came to Costa Rica with a mission team from my church. And I'm so thankful that they exposed me to, at such a young age, when my perspective on everything, you know, church and everything else was so limited. And to come here and be worshiping in buildings that were much different from First Methodist Church, Rocky Mount, North Carolina and you know a worship style that was so different and then to see the way that they were praying and it was just so uninhibited and genuine and authentic which is key because it can become you know there's lots of criticisms these days about sort of modern contemporary worship being performative and are people going because the music's great or are they going to worship and and prayer i think can easily fall into that we shouldn't be so naive as to deny the fact that people can be manipulated during worship experiences by different things and prayer is not immune to that but the authenticity that i see here is one of the things why i'm so eager to share it with the teams that come and i'll tell them that like if there was anything about this that made me uncomfortable we, we wouldn't be here this morning. We would be somewhere else. So I want them to be as confident in what they're seeing and feeling and experiencing as I am. A big part of it is cultural. You know, the lines in Latin America between what is public and what is private are not nearly as clearly marked as they are in our North American culture. 
Matt, you and I can sit down over a cup of coffee and have a conversation and ask one another questions about how things are going and how's your family. And it can get personal, but we sort of know when we're getting to that space where I don't need to dig any deeper and you don't either. And here, it's just, there's a lot of gray area. And I've heard people share things openly during a worship service in front of the whole church that I've just thought, oh my gosh, there's no way I would have said that in front of all of these people. But because it is such a family and such a community, um, that's entirely normal. And so if that's the environment, if that's the context you're in, then that frees you to worship in so many ways. It's uninhibited. You know, the chains have fallen off and you can move however you want to move. Nobody's going to care. You can sing however you want to sing and you can pray however you want to pray and not worry about, oh gosh, you know, what's the family sitting behind me on the pew behind me going to, are they going to be laughing about me when they go home and, you know, have lunch today? I can remember clearly when I was in high school and there was a visitor at our church one Sunday. She was sort of towards the back of the sanctuary. And at some point during the 11 o'clock service, she had her hands raised while we were praying. And it was scandalous that night at youth group, that crazy lady in the back of the church that had raised her hands while we were praying, you know? Like, so that's the extreme that I was sort of confronted with and have learned about um, by, by living here and being a part of this community is how, how much more openness there is. And, and that bleeds into all aspects of church life. It took me, I can't tell you how long it took me once I lived here to figure out which children belonged to which adults at the church that we go to because it was so fluid. It's such a family that everyone takes care of you know, everybody's kids. And all of that stuff, I think, comes into play when you start talking about worshiping together and how comfortable are we expressing what we're feeling. We have a team that's here this week that at church on Sunday they had some liturgical dancers that were up at the front of the sanctuary dancing while we were singing the songs we were singing. And there were a couple of these little girls that were maybe three years old. And so, you know, they weren't following all of the choreography and that sort of stuff, but they were dressed just like the other ones. They had their tapestries flowing around in the air and that sort of thing. And when they commented, the group commented just about how cute they were. And I was like, well, they, you're right, they are. But it's so important to this church that from that age, they start learning how good and right it is to express physically how grateful we are for everything that, that God has done for us. And so those kids will also grow up being very comfortable praying out loud in front of everybody. It won't seem weird to them. And so there's just so much freedom in that. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is Though I haven't personally served as a missionary, I do know it can often be isolating and frustrating. And the picture people have in their minds of what a missionary does versus what it's actually like, I would imagine there's probably some gap there in expectation and reality. When, when people 
offer to pray for you, with you, or pray for the ministry, what do you hope they are praying for? Like, what are you asking for in terms of prayer when someone offers that? I think what means the most to me is just the knowledge that they remember us, that they know that we're here. Life is hard everywhere. My life is not a perpetual mountaintop mission trip experience, contrary to popular belief. And so just the knowledge that there is a person or a community of people who care about us enough to be conscious of that and to pray to God to give us comfort when we need comfort and to give us strength when we need strength and and to give thanks for the things that my family has, that we've committed our lives to, that's huge. It's just such a comfort to know that we are connected to this gigantic network of like-minded people who are concerned about us. You know, that, it feels good. It feels good to know that there are people, and some of our partner churches I know pray for us by name every single time they gather together and worship. Not all of them do that, but some of them do. And some of them will reach out to us monthly or quarterly and say, hey, we're praying for you all. Are there specific things that you want us to pray for right now? And sometimes there's big decisions that are coming up. You know, For the last two and a half years, we have had a lot to pray about in regards to how we were to guide this ministry through this season. I'm confident that if we hadn't had this army of people holding us up during that season, I mean, I'm not going to say we wouldn't be here anymore, but I think the way things happened, it would have felt different to us. You know, it's different to face a challenge when you feel like you're facing it all by yourself than when you feel like you've got a whole bunch of people standing behind you saying, we're with you. So that stuff matters. And I think it's easy to sort of be, unfortunately, kind of flippant about prayer and praying for people. And it's almost, you know, it's as easy to say, have a nice day, as it is to say, we're praying for you. I hope that people take it seriously. And I'm guilty of that too. You know, here's an example that comes to mind. The team that's here right now, I saw a picture last week that their church posted on their media of the mission team at the front of the sanctuary on Sunday and the whole congregation was up there with them and they were praying for them before this trip. And I thought that's it's a beautiful image. It's wonderful that, that the whole church is being sort of included in the sending out of this team. But then I thought, but I wonder how seriously each of those people who was participating in that prayer is taking it. Do they realize what a commitment they're making by saying, we're going to be praying for you guys? I hope that they did. I hope all of them did. But I think it would be easy to not, you know, it would be easy to just say, yeah, we prayed for that team and, you know, kind of wash your hands of it and hope things go well. Or you can constantly be remembering them and thinking of them and trying to encourage and empower. I certainly don't want to paint missionaries with a broad brush because the cultural contexts are so different and so unique and not to mention the uniqueness of every person. Are there things you think that all missionaries are hoping that folks pray for? 
I would assume like money and support's given and, and just sheer remembrance. But is there something that you wish people would pray for in terms of you and your ministry and all, all of the ministries going on, you and everybody else there that maybe folks don't think about as much? I would have answered this question differently if you had asked me a year ago. I don't feel qualified to answer on behalf of, you know, of course, all missionaries around the world. But a few months ago, I started doing a podcast about missions. And one of the things that we've been doing is we've been interviewing missionaries around the world and just letting them talk about their experience. And we've asked them all, you know, what's the hardest thing? What's the biggest challenge for you in the mission field? And not every single one of them, but the majority have said loneliness. It is so lonely. And so I think that is the, the biggest gift in a lot of cases that you can give a missionary is companionship. So if an element of that companionship is the knowledge that you are praying for them and, and being in contact in such a way so that it's not just, yeah, we pray for your ministry, but specifically what is happening in your life right now that you would like for our church to walk with you through that prayerfully. I mean, that's, yeah, we need money. We need support, but we need companions. <laughs> what a gift that prayer can be a part of that kind of healthy missional relationship, that bridge between the missionary or the family that's in the field and the church that is supporting them that part of that is in this amazing supernatural way we can be connected to one another. I think maybe people don't give that as much credit as it deserves. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, there is something very personal and very meaningful about someone who says, and, and then they mean it, you know, I'll be thinking about you or, you know, if, if you ever need anything, let me know. And as you said, that is one of the biggest problems is isolation. And that is one, one way prayer can, I mean, in a very serious and real way, help the mental health and well-being of those who are out there and sometimes feel completely isolated. Despite doing good work, it can be very isolating. And knowing that somebody is there, even just for five, ten seconds, just I wonder how Will's doing, can be a very meaningful thing. Yeah, it's a wonderful way for someone who is passionate about missions, but is never going to, for whatever circumstances, go into the mission field full-time, to be fully invested in missions is by committing to supporting missionaries consistently through prayer. I mean, that's a, it's a huge thing. Are there any particular books or resources that have changed your outlook on prayer, or has it mainly just been cultural differences in how they approach prayer? What has been meaningful to you in terms of thinking about prayer in a different way or learning more? Let me share this story because I think this is important as sort of an other side to the story. I remember we had a team that was here within the last year or two. The last day of the work week, they had finished up. They were getting on the bus to leave, and a member of the local church where they had spent the week came up to one of the young women on the team, and I can't remember if I, I think I translated this for her, but she said, I want to tell her something. And so I got this young woman from the team, and she said, I just, before you leave, I want to make sure you understand that you all are an answer to our prayers. And I just thought, man, that it would be so easy 
to just take that lightly and be like, yeah, you know, of course, who wouldn't want to have new church facilities? But to understand that this church community together has been praying for years to have just a decent worship space. And now through God's economy, that sort of transaction has taken place. And God in his infinite wisdom has seen fit. Out of all of the options that God has to make things happen, the way he chose for this to happen and for these prayers to be answered was for these individuals to spend this time together and to be church together and for the fruit of that to be the prayers in this community have been answered. I mean, that's a big deal. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure we really are prepared to understand how big a deal that is, that we get used by God to answer other people's prayers. So there's that part. I wish I could recommend a book or something to you. I, I saw an interview recently. The journalist was interviewing a monk, an, a Greek Orthodox monk in Athos in Greece. And, you know, that's sort of this closed off area that it's just for them and it's pretty serious stuff. The monk was talking to the interviewer about praying without ceasing and what an important part of their life and commitment to their faith and everything is. The interviewer sort of got this puzzled look on his face and was like, yeah, but but you're talking to me right now. And the monk started, he started cracking up and the interviewer got sort of offended. He's like, why are you laughing at me? And the monk's response was, you assume that just because we're speaking, I've stopped praying. And I just thought, man, that I want to get to that point where it is just, it's like breathing. It's happening all the time, whether I'm conscious of it. There is time when I want it to be something I'm conscious of, and I'm specifically choosing the words that, that I'm trying to say to God and the things that, you know, being attentive to hearing His voice. But I would love to get to a point where I know it's just happening. That line of communication is open all the time. So that certainly created kind of a higher standard for what I would and you know, would strive for. And ideally, the kind of prayer life I would love to have is to be like that guy who, even though he's having a conversation with someone, he hasn't stopped praying. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to, to do this. And do you want to briefly plug your podcast, which is, which is great? Do you want to tell folks how to how to find it? Sure. Um, our podcast is called The Broken Banquet, and it's myself and my friend Dr. Ashley Goad, who is the missions pastor at First Methodist Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. And you can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere. It's, it's there. So yeah, The Broken Banquet podcast. We are letting missionaries tell their stories and talking about what healthy missional relationships look like between churches missionaries, the communities where the missionaries are serving, how to avoid some of those mistakes that happen sometimes. Check it out. Yes, it's great. I really appreciate the honesty and authenticity. I, I find that those things lend themselves to very interesting conversations. Um, so yeah, go check it out. And if you don't know about UMVIM, uh, you can check out our work at umvim, umvim.org, United Methodist Volunteers and Mission. And we're here to resource folks in churches uh, to get connected with 
mission sites all around the world and offer resources to help prepare them to get there. So thanks so much and uh, good chat and uh, thanks for making the time.